grateful for another day, another beautiful day that you have given us. This is the day that you have made, scripture says. Lord, you will rejoice, you will cause us to rejoice and be glad in today. And so, Father, we are grateful for the blessings of today, for the mercies of today, for the grace of today, for your love that is poured out afresh upon us. Father, we are grateful for it all. We say, Be exalted, Lord, forevermore, for the gift of life this morning, for the breath in our nostrils. We are grateful this morning. For the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are grateful. For the gift of Jesus and his blood, we are grateful. Father, be glorified in the mighty name of Jesus. We've just come to worship you as the one who is faithful. Yes, Lord, scripture says that you are not a man. Lord, you do not repent. You do not change. You remain the same. And that is why we cannot be consumed. And so, Father, we thank you this morning because you are faithful, because you keep your word. Scripture says you watch over your word so that you will bring them to pass. Our Lord, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. Lord, for by the immutable, two immutable things for which, Lord, you cannot lie this morning, your hopes and your promise. We say, receive all the praise in the mighty name of Jesus. As we spend another time in your presence, Lord, we ask, speak to us once again. Help us learn as we read the Bible and cause your name to be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. All right, let me say a big welcome. To everyone joining in to devotion this morning, I am Murphy Eyenike. Let's continue our reading of the Bible. Yes, we are reading the book of Hebrews. Yesterday we stopped on chapters 5. Today we take chapter 6 and 7. Actually, we stopped on chapter 6 verse 3 yesterday. So we'll just take it from there. On chapter 6, remember, he's talking to these Jewish believers who were considering, they were considering, you know, uh, reverting or changing back to Judaism because of the persecution. The Emperor Nero, you know, was persecuting Christians. Christians were being killed everywhere. You know, they were being killed for sport, literally. Okay, so... He was telling them when the last thing we read, uh, 6 verse 1, 2, 3, you know, he talked about the fact that, look, repentance from dead works, baptism, and the likes were, were basics. Were, were the basics. And so they ought to be moving on to deeper things in God instead of considering backsliding. And he's going to build on that in chapter 6. In chapter 7, chapter 7 is um, one of the most profound chapters. Yes, one of the most profound chapters in, in, in the old book of Hebrews. I know that most of us focus on chapter 11, okay, but chapter 7 is, is, is solid. We'll study it together today. But chapter 6, we'll get one, one big promise here and why we know that look, God can never fail. I mentioned it when we pray. 
by two immutable things for which it is impossible for God to lie. God has given us two things, his oath and his promise. In other words, these guys can hold on to Jesus to the very end. He will not fail them. And then in chapter 7, he compares you know, uh, Melchizedek and Abraham and the priesthood of Jesus um, against the priesthood of the Levites. I'm telling you, you will be blessed this morning. Please get your Bibles. Let's read together Hebrews chapter 6 and 7. From verse 1, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Okay? They were being discouraged. <laughs> they were about to backslide. You know? He said, let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Okay? Become mature in our, in our understanding. Surely, uh, we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Those are the basics. We have placed our faith in God. We have literally put our hands to the plow. Jesus used the parable, you know, to describe it. And we can't look back. Jesus says if those who look back in those in, in instances like that are not fit for the kingdom. He says, I'm placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism, the laying, of, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are, are basics, okay? Um, you guys' hands were laid on you. And you received, some of you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit just by hands being laid on you. And then, of course, the resurrection of the dead. Uh, how many of you have deep seen miracles? I'm telling you, fantastic miracles. Paul had raised people from the dead. Peter had raised people from the dead. And so they know that the resurrection of the dead was real because Jesus already opened that pathway. And then, of course, they have been taught. Jesus taught them about the eternal judgment. Okay, so if they believed all of this, the writer is saying these are basics. Okay? If you believe this, we should be moving on to greater things, not preparing to backslide. He says, and, and so, God willing, we will move further to, to further understanding. So I always say, um, you see, these five, five topics are basics. Every Christian must, must solidly grasp, okay? They must solidly grasp repentance from evil deeds faith in god baptism okay baptism there are three types of baptism water baptism baptism into the body of christ and then the baptism of the holy spirit so instructions about baptism then you have the fourth one the laying on of hands at the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment sorry six he says these are they are like basics you must understand this if you understand then i'm telling you it just makes your Christian work much, much clearer, okay? Because it becomes very difficult for anyone to deceive you. If your faith in God is, is clear, um, you're not going to be thinking about backsliding. If eternal judgment is clear to you, the teaching about the eternal judgment, you know that there's a reward for tomorrow, whether for good or for evil. You know there's a reward. 
if the teaching on the resurrection of the dead is clear to you, uh, then you know that one day we will all rise up, uh, whether to eternal judgment or um, eternal con- condemnation or eternal bliss with God. Okay, so he said basics. Okay, settled. Four. For it, for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened. Yes, it is impossible. Those who have been enlightened, backslide, and then to to restore them. I'm telling you, it's a it's a very difficult battle. I've seen this again and again. When you meet people who have this this nonchalant attitude about church, you know this is the trap that they are falling into. You know, they have this non-challenged attitude. I've been in church for 20 years. What is there? You know, uh, they are all fakes. They are they are all just pretenders. This is what has happened to them. He says that for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened. Those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. If they backslide, it says, hmm, impossible, it is difficult. And who then turn away from God? It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. Okay, so remember, it's trying to encourage. <laughs> don't re- don't nail Jesus to the cross a second time. You guys are already have been known, okay, publicly to be Christians in those days. It's not like now that we we tell people to declare publicly for Jesus, and you will be sitting down in one corner and saying, "No, I've already declared for Jesus." No, then you sh- you showed it out. I have declared for Jesus. Okay, so you've done that. Now you want to go back? Ah, Paul says no. Uh, sorry, not Paul. Uh, the writer says no, no, no. It will be impossible for such people to come back. Okay, so we always have to be very, very careful with this, with this one. And I'm telling you, I've seen. I'm sure you know people that have been like that who were raised in church. It grew up knowing, you know, everything about church, you know, and so they just take God and everything about God as, as you know, as fake. Sadly. Ah, but we pray for such people that God will restore them in the name of Jesus. Verse 7, when the ground soaks up the, the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it says it asks God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. See, dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't uh, believe it it applies to you we are confident that you are meant for better things things that come with salvation uh, for god is not unjust he will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love for him by caring for other believers yes god was not going to forget their labor of love and so they must also remember that okay all that they have gone through all they have been through was not in vain. It is how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire, our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts. Okay? Hold on to Jesus till the very end. 
if I have to give this life up for him, I pray that by the grace of God, I will be able to lay it down. Amen. Yes, that is what every believer, I know, yes, we pray. We, yes, and it is good to pray such, you know, pray that way, that God will protect us, God will keep us from harm and all of that. But peradventure, I had to lay it down. And I am told, choose Jesus or die. Choose Jesus or your head is cut off. I pray this morning that every one of us will be able to stand for our faith in the name of Jesus. Since our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as, as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Since then, you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the examples of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Hallelujah. Don't worry. When we get to Hebrews chapter 11, we are going to have this discussion on faith. And I'm telling you, you think you have faith. For most people, they don't understand. They don't have the, the slightest understanding of what faith is. But before we get there, I'm sure you will understand a bit more. So let's go on. Verse 13, God's promises bring hope. For example, uh, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no greater, there, there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond beyond number. Since then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. Abraham had faith in God, but you see, it wasn't that what God promised Abraham was certain to happen. Okay, so something very important here you need to see about faith. I'm letting the cat out of the bag already. So, God's promise to Abraham, okay, was about God's integrity. It was God who made the promise. So the person that Abraham was holding on to, it wasn't that Isaac was certain to come. Abraham was certain that Isaac would come because of the integrity of the one who promised. That is faith. Okay? That is faith. That was why Abraham waited patiently. And he's telling these guys, wait patiently. Be willing to give everything up because of the integrity of the one who promised. Then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. He says, now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to owe them to eat. Yes, most of us, when we were growing, when we were growing up, you know, we'll, we'll like call a, a higher authority to hold us accountable for the promise that for the promise that we were making. God did the same. God, but there was no one. Okay, there was no one else greater than God. So God called Himself to hold Himself accountable. In other words, Abraham, if I don't bless you, let God die. <laughs> hey, hey, yes, and of course God cannot die. But that was what God did. And so that was what Abraham held on to. The integrity of the one making the promise. Now, when people take an oath, let's read again 16, they call on someone greater than themselves to owe them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath 
so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So guys, don't be afraid. God cannot change his mind. He already promised and has fulfilled part of his promise by giving you Jesus. If he gave you Jesus already, he will give you all everything. Don't backslide. Literally, the writer is saying. So God has given both he said, let's, let's back up. Say so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oaths. His promise and his oaths. Uh, these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have greater can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. The hope that lies before us is not certain. It's not seen. That is why it is hope. Hope is in front of you. You cannot see it. However, faith holds on to the integrity eh, of the person making the promise. The person making the promise has given you two things. They've given you the promise and they have given you a hope, the hope. The promise is I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. The promise is in Christ. For those of us who have accepted him in Christ, uh, we are children of God. He has given us eternal life. In Christ, that is the promise. Now, God did not... God could have stopped there because God will not break his promise. But God then added something else, an oath. Literally, God was saying, let God die. Eh? If I don't bring to pass what I have said, let God die. Wow. Okay? So, in other words, those of us who have fled to God can be sure you have, you will ha- you have eternal life. When you die, and that's why I told, I told us, I shared with us a, a while back, if you have seen people who know God when they die, recently, you know, one of us passed on, he passed on in his sleep, in his sleep slept and just went like that no no pain no stress uh, while it is painful you know we are crying that he is gone you know i would rather go like that than to go like those who know that there is no hope as they are going okay there is pain for them yes god has given us his promise and his oath so let that be certain in your heart i have his oath i have his promise his promise to me is Jesus. His oath he will not break. Hallelujah. He says this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our soul. This was our our like motto in, in, uh, in the voice brigade. Sure and steadfast. He says this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the cutting into God's inner sanctuary. Uh, Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. When he talks about the cutting, he's talking about entering the holies of holies. Jesus has already gone in there for us. When the high priest enters there on the day of atonement, you know he's going to offer the sacrifice. So the sacrifice that guarantees that we are accepted that the promise will come to pass has already you know has already been made hallelujah 
right, let's move on to chapter 7. Here we see uh, Melchizedek and Abraham. Melchizedek was greater than Abraham because Abraham made, you know, gave him, you know, that the tithes, and that has strong implication. You will see here also that look, if the priesthood changed, the law also should change. If the priesthood changed, the law should change. If the law of tithing, okay, in among in the Levite time has changed, we have a new priesthood, Jesus. Okay, so the law should change. <laughs> it says this Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem, verse one and also a priest of God Most High. When Abraham was returning home after winning the great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had, captured in battle, and gave it to Melchizedek. Okay, not out of um, compulsion. There was no law that told Abraham what to do. Abraham gave that tithe because Abraham appreciated Melchizedek and felt that there was something that Melchizedek would add to him. Okay, so he gave the tithe to Melchizedek. He says the name Melchizedek means king of justice and king of, and king of Salem means king of peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors no beginning or end to his life he remains a priest forever resembling the son the son of god if you read the old testament you would always see a type of christ appearing all true whether it is the tree of life whether it is melchizedek whether it is the stone that went with the children of israel as they went through you know through the wilderness you see jesus appearing again and again all through all through the old testament it says resembling the son of god of course talking about jesus it says consider then how great this melchizedek was even abraham the great patriarch of israel recognized this by giving him a tent a tithe of what he had taken in battle now the law of moses required that one is requirement abraham did not do it by requirement now the law of moses required that the priests who are descendants of levi must collect must collect a tithe and so that so you understand why those who preach tithing from the order of the levites from the levitical priesthood make it you know it's like it's forceful because moses required it but if the priesthood change the law also ought to change. It says we are. It says who are descendants of Levi must collect a tithe from the rest of the children of the people of Israel, who are also descendants of Abraham. Say, but Melchizedek, who was not a descendant, he was not a descendant of Levi. Collected a tenth from Abraham. What is that telling you? Tithing existed outside the law. The law under which you say um, the windows of heaven over you, um, the law that says you know you are cursed, you know that is the Levitical priesthood. Okay, there was a titan outside it, and the patriarch, in fact, the one who will give back to the one who will eventually collect the tithe under the Levitical priesthood, paid tithe there. Okay, so two separate 
two separate priesthood the Melchizedek priesthood and the Levitical priesthood the Melchizedek priesthood is the priesthood of Christ he will settle it he will connect it later okay and it is under that priesthood that we stand today uh, Mike, if you want to stand under the Levitical priesthood, go and become become a Jew, okay? <laughs> and just do it the full length. Say, Bob Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tent from Abraham, and Abraham and Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. Very important. Abraham had received the promise, but Melchizedek still blessed him, Okay? And of course, Abraham could see that he was, there was a different blessing in his life. Seven, and without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed, without any contradiction. Okay, the least is blessed by the greater. Melchizedek definitely was greater than Abraham because he blessed Abraham. He says, the priest who collects tithes are men who die. So Melchizedek is greater than they they are very important. Melchizedek is greater because we are told that he lives on. He does not die. Okay, he lives on. In addition, we might even say that these Levites who are collecting title, the ones who collect the tithe, paid a tithe to Melchizedek when their ancestor Abraham paid tithe to him. Why? Because they were in the loins of Abraham. Eh? Abraham was carrying Isaac. Isaac was carrying Jacob. Jacob eh, is eventually carrying okay, the entire tribe of Israel. They paid tithes. All of them paid tithe to Melchizedek. This is Abraham paid tithe to him. For although Levi was, wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected the tithe from him. 11. So if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood? In actually, maybe the right question was why was there a need to establish the priesthood of Levi when the priesthood of, of Melchizedek existed? Why was there a need? Paul answered this in the book of Galatians when he talks about the purpose of the law, being a school teacher, okay, bringing them, was supposed to bring them to the Messiah. It was not intended to bring them to the place of perfection. Okay? So, the Levitical priesthood and everything that is roped on that, that is not intended, is not perfection. So, if the priesthood of Levi, 11 again, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the instead of the order of Levi and Aaron? Okay, so like I said, you can just re- invert it also. Why was there a need, a need to even have brought up the priesthood of Aaron and Levi in the, in the first place when Melchizedek priesthood existed? But it was, like I said, simple. The priesthood of Levi and Aaron was temporal. It was a teacher to bring the children of Israel to the Messiah. 12. And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. Did you hear? If the priesthood changed, 
the law must change. The priesthood changed. <laughs> the titan changed. Okay? So, I, it's settled. Okay? Don't bother yourself about that. You understand this. You understand the word of God yourself. You don't struggle with these things. 13. For the priesthood, for the priests we are talking about, belongs to a different tribe whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is, our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. So, he's going to tell us that Jesus is like Melchizedek. This change has been made very clear since a different priest, who is like Melchizedek, has appeared. Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirements of belonging to the tribe of Levi. Their own, you only could become a so someone like David could not become a priest, okay? Because he wasn't born into the tribe of Levi. He says Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. Hallelujah. That is why he is a priest. He says, and the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever, forever in the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110 verse 4. Yes, the law, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. The old requirement of the priesthood, everything about it, eh? the tithing, the bringing of the ram to the temple, and they were set aside because it was weak and useless. For the Lord never made anything perfect. If you tell yourself the truth, the law never makes anything perfect. The law only shows us our sins and brings us to the one who is able to make us perfect, Jesus. It never made anything perfect. But now we have confidence in a better hope uh, through which we draw near to God. That hope is Jesus. 20. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Abraham's descendant became priest without such an oath. They, once they were born into the liver in the tribe, that tribe, they were automatically priests. But Jesus became a priest by an oath. 21. But there was an oath regarding Jesus. For God said to him, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Psalm 110, verse 4 again. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. Imagine these guys hearing this. Jesus is the one who guarantees a better covenant. Eh? You can see the way the, the argument has been laid and has been proven beyond every reasonable doubt. Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. There were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in, in, the, for remaining in office. But Jesus <laughs> cannot be removed from, from his office. Why? Because he became a priest eh, by the power of his life, a life that cannot, that cannot end. He says, let's verse 16 let's back up to 16 we jump back since jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of levi but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed that is why he is a priest so those other guys were stopped 
from continuing eh, in the old system. The was debt prevented them from remaining in office. Verse 23, eh? 24. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Hallelujah. Hey, hey. Thank you, Jesus. His priesthood eh, lasts forever. In other words, he is our high priest forever. He cannot be dethroned. He cannot be removed. His sacrifice is once and for all. It is therefore he is able. Listen, 24 again. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Simple. He is the kind of high priest we need. Jesus is the high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. Jesus is not dying every day. He has died once and for all. Listen to me this morning. The sacrifice for the sin that you, if you live the next 50 years, you commit a sin 50 years time, it has been paid for. It looks like, it looks sacrilegious, sacrilegious or you say ah, abomination. It is the truth, okay? That is not a cloak or the freedom to commit sin. It is the freedom to live for God. It says he offers himself as a sacrifice for the people's sin. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath. And his son has been made the perfect I praise forever. Thank you, Jesus. Can we say thank you, Lord, this morning? Jesus, you are the perfect high priest. Lord, we thank you this morning because you will reign forever and ever. You are the high priest, the kind of high priest that we need. And we are grateful for you this morning. Jesus, receive all the glory. Lord, receive all the praise. Lord, we thank you for a better covenant. This morning we pray, Lord, help us experience it in full in the name of Jesus. Father, we say thank you. Be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. Enjoy your day.